0: An aerolingus Vickers Viscount is flying to London from Cork when something goes terribly wrong. What caused this flight to crash into the ocean?
1: Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick.
0: I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. And we also have... Caitlin's here again. Hi.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> has... For
0: housekeeping stuff. Yes. Um, I don't know if we have... We might have a new patron. I don't know. I don't think... It's been a in. while since we've recorded.
1: It has been a minute.
0: Let me... Let's double check real quick. While we wait, I think I'm going to do a giveaway soon on socials, so keep your yeah. head peeled. Yeah. Let's do that. Uh, Alice, with the criminal surname upped their patronage thanks. thank you thank you
1: that is what what they go by on patreon yes
0: oh i don't think there's no mate jj like, did I, we did we thank jj i think we already thanked jj thanks and anyway again thanks jj you're our last new patron that had signed up so so Good. thanks if we've thanked you thank you again if we haven't thanked you thank you there you go okay so fun fact The newsletter should have gone out two weeks ago, or last week, actually, because this is next week's episode, because we're behind, and you can figure out why in the post-episode, which means you need to check out the Patreon, because it was a whole
2: mess. Oh my, the whole weekend, did nothing (laughs) went as planned. (laughs)
1: Nothing. I wouldn't call it a bad weekend, though.
2: It was a great weekend. Well, I mean, one day went according to plan, once we had a plan for it. I guess. Sunday went according to plan. Saturday did, too. Saturday was fine.
0: It was the whole on Friday and the whole on Monday <laughs> that was the issue. So, if you want to hear about that, you're going to have to listen to the post episode and you have to be a $5 patron to do that. So, and then also you should send us some more stories. Lately we've been getting a lot from Andrew. Thanks Andrew.
1: Yes, thanks um, Andrew.
0: <laughs> we will do another stories episode eventually. One is already done and ready to record. We just need time and guess what? This right here has school again <laughs> Miranda's pointing out her starting literally
1: Me, tomorrow
0: literally tomorrow I don't have kids tomorrow no but, but you
1: have everything tomorrow when this
0: comes out I'll have children so that'll
1: be fun yes, that'll be
0: great. Uh, so yeah I have school again which means I am significantly more busy and tired because now I have marching band too so, yay. This
1: is your busy season, and mine finally might start to slow down a little.
0: It's from here to October is just, ah, and then it, it slows down after.
1: Yeah, that. mine is still a little, ah, eh, till October, and then things really slow down. That's, yeah. that's, that's what I look forward to. So, what are we covering today, Nick? Today, we are covering Aer Lingus Flight 712.
0: That's right! <laughs> it has a weird like symbol i did sorry i just did the newsletter like <laughs> yesterday and i was trying to figure out what el
2: was E-I. it's e-i oh e-i that's so stupid why is it e-i okay do you know how to say ireland in gaelic no it's air do you know how that's spelled e-i-r-e air airland
1: and everything goes by it e-i
2: their the registrations ireland. start with e-i i was like what the
0: this and then I, I i had to look it up and i'm like oh it's air lingus yes
1: 712 yep
0: nick has had the pleasure of flying with air lingus you I have noticed we were supposed to do mohawk airlines we can't do it because it's really confusing i'm so confused so
1: we
2: the people who suggested it which i don't remember who it was. helen and matt i'm sorry uh, i had tried i poured postponed over, i poured over it for two hours and can't
1: Postponed. Yeah. We will figure we can, that one out someday. We can someday. move
2: it. I can make it a miranda
0: I mean, we'll figure it out.
1: But... It's not uninteresting. It is just very difficult to understand.
2: Yeah, And there's no pictures to help. Worst of all. And there's no diagrams of anything. Right. I also still don't really understand what a plenum chamber is or
0: what it does. <laughs> Because we, I'm pretty sure airplanes now don't have. I'm pretty sure chambers. that
1: yeah, that's not normal.
0: So yeah, if you want us to cover it, it would be very helpful if you could help s- help <laughs>
2: send information. Please or send something. help. <laughs>
1: no.
2: I understand that there was a fire, and that's about all I got.
1: Yeah. So that said, we are also doing something very different with this accident, Aerolingus Seven Twelve. Don't give it away. I'm not going to. But the title of this episode might give it away. This accident occurred on March twenty fourth of nineteen sixty eight. This was a Vickers Viscount, Viscount 803, mm-hmm. with the tail number Echo India-Alpha Oscar Mike. So it was a, of course, Irish airplane yeah. with an Irish airline.
2: Yeah. Oh, and you have to pay two shillings for this report back in the day?
1: Yes, it actually states that right on the front of the report fantastic. You don't anymore, it's right.
2: <laughs> well, I'm assuming since it's
0: scanned into the internet. Yes.
1: It's also... also not scanned. I think it's rewritten.
2: It really? is.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, cuz it's like modern PDF style.
0: Oh, hell yeah.
1: But it definitely reads I
0: like it's old. Hate when they scan in reports. Yes. It's so hard to read.
1: I hate them. The Vickers Viscount is a quad engined aircraft, typically turboprop, but also sometimes was piston. This was a flight from Cork in Ireland to London.
2: Cork is wonderful. London is less so.
1: I don't know. They're both wonderful in their own ways.
2: I, okay, listen, London's great. It's Big. just very
0: crowded. Yes. Because it's very touristy. Of course it is. It's London. Cork, Cork is beautiful. I love Cork. Cork is, I, when we were in Cork last year, it was literally awesome.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It was so cool. They have this really cool, like, marketplace. hmm Indoor marketplace. Yeah. That reminds me of, like, Stanley Marketplace. yeah. And it has a huge food court. Brennan and I got food there last year. It was really good. Anyway, please yeah. continue.
1: Anyways, so yeah, not a very long flight. Captain for this flight was Bernard O'Bearn. Irish. Yes. He was 35 years old. At the time, he had 6,683 hours total, of which 1,679 were on the Viscount. So yeah. pretty experienced. First officer was Paul Heffernan. He was 22 years old. The Youngin. Yes. He had 1,139 hours total, of which 900 were on the Viscount. So, actually, yeah, most of his hours were on the Viscount. He was decently experienced in the Viscount, but not very many hours overall. At Cork, 57 passengers and four crew boarded the flight. The flight took off from Cork at 1032 a.m. This is in GMT time. This, the reason I kept this in GMT time is because the report is in GMT time. and what Except I cannot, for some parts. Right. And, and what I cannot determine is exactly, okay, I understand that they are one hour different from GMT, but not all the time. And also, this just was too much to have to calculate. Just know that it was still morning when all this was happening. That's all that really matters.
2: Yeah, afternoon.
1: Early afternoon, at the latest. Anyways. GMT time. The flight had been cleared to fly to London via the Blue 10 Airway and the Green 1 Airway at 17,000 feet. 10.38 a.m., so six minutes after takeoff, the flight passed through 7,000 feet when the air traffic controller cleared the flight to fly to Tusker. Just a reporting point along the way. It's along the coast. Two minutes later at 10.40 a.m., the flight reported being at Yogal at 7,500 feet and climbing to 17,000 feet. It baffles me a little bit that they only climbed 500 feet in two minutes, but you know, at that time, the air traffic controller suggested that the flight could fly direct to the Strumble reporting point. The flight crew did not respond to the suggestion, however. They never confirmed nor denied whether or not they would fly direct to Strumble. They just ignored it, basically. 10:57 a.m. and seven seconds, the flight reported, quote. By Bano, level 170, estimating Strumble at 03. Okay, let's break that one down. Bano is a reporting point. They were at 17,000 feet at this point, and they were estimating being at Strumble at 3 past the hour. Whatever hour that actually be. Yes. Whether it be 11 or noon. I don't know. <laughs> 11 GMT, noon, I think, local. The air traffic controller then instructed the flight to contact a London Airways frequency. That's part of their, like, center frequencies, but anyways, they they said London Airways. On 131.2, and the flight crew acknowledged by repeating the frequency at 10.57 a.m. and 29 seconds. So they just literally read back 131.2. 10.58 a.m. and 2 seconds, the London Radar ATC received a call, overlapped by another call. The call coming from our accident airplane, which could not be heard, was, quote echo india alpha oscar mike with you end quote saying they're with them and that was their tail number
2: you might notice that is not standard radio communication no no
1: normally we would use a call sign and a flight number so they didn't do that
2: what is Erlingus's call sign
1: i don't know i don't remember it's actually it may have changed over time too but
2: it makes me smile shamrock
1: shamrock that's right <laughs> well, that makes sense that's right it is shamrock <laughs> Yeah, 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 it's Shamrock. So it would be Shamrock 712 in this case.
2: But no, they use their tail number, which is not standard.
1: Mm -hmm. Eight seconds later, another call was received by the London Air Traffic Controller. However, this one was heard, and it was much more alarming. Quote, 5,000 feet descending, spinning rapidly. End quote. That was Um, the whole call. Now, that was the last time that Flight 712 would be heard from. Another aircraft in the area, another Aer Lingus flight that was flying from Dublin to Bristol, had heard this call. There was a later a dispute about what was actually said in this frequency, within this call. Because they thought that they said 5,800, but doing some audio analysis later found that they had possibly, or most likely, said 12,800. Regardless. The descending spinning rapidly is not a good thing or a good sign. Uh,
0: no. Yeah. Okay, I have a quick question. Yes. When they say 5,000 feet, do they mean they felt like they dropped 5,000 feet? Or they they were that at, would be their
1: at, current yeah, altitude. Okay. At
2: 5,000 okay. Which is
1: actually 12,000 feet. Yeah. Yes. Needless to say, either way, they are below the altitude they were supposed to be at, so they were...
2: Not good. Not good. Spiraling out of control.
1: Yes.
0: No, Lower than bad. they should have been.
1: Right. Eleven ten a.m. Jam taste, though. The London air traffic controller advised Shannon air traffic control that requested the other Aer Lingus flight, flight 362, that they requested them to do a search just west of Strumble, where this airplane had last been reported. That flight descended down to 500 feet in good visibility, which I might add is quite low even for a search. For an airliner, that is. But they ultimately saw nothing. They flew over the area, saw nothing of note continued on their way. Between 11.13 a.m. and 11.25 a.m., efforts were made to contact the flight by radio, but with no response. At 11.25 a.m., a full alert was declared. So, in other words, emergency services were scrambled, Search and rescue operations began, the whole gamut. Mind you, my notes are not done. Anywhere near done, actually. <laughs> I'm going to cover, now, the search and rescue effort and beyond. 12.36 p.m., a sea vessel had reported possibly seeing wreckage. But two other surface vessels within four nautical miles of the area searched and saw nothing. They found nothing. 12.52 p.m., the Air Corps dispatched a Dove airplane, as well as a helicopter, to participate in the search. But by one ten p.m., a total of 10 aircraft from the U.K. were in the air searching the area, looking for the aircraft. They were searching hard all over the area, the last area that they had made a report.
0: Was this when Ireland was part of the U.K.?
1: Mm.
0: When did this happen?
1: This was in 68.
0: It might have been. Ireland gained independence
2: in 1949. Okay,
1: so no. So no. 3.30 p.m., the wreckage report was canceled after no wreckage was found during a thorough search of the area. The next day, at 6.15 a.m., the search was resumed by both aircraft and ships from the U.K. 12.41 p.m. that day, wreckage was spotted six nautical miles northeast of Tusker Rock, you may remember that they were heading for Tusker as a reporting point. Mm-hmm. Search vessels recovered several bodies from the wreckage site around that time. Another report came in with more wreckage found floating for another six nautical miles northwest of the first wreckage site. So not at six nautical miles, for another six nautical miles along that path. The next day after that, the Irish naval ship L.E. Macha.
0: That's an interesting name for a ship.
1: Yep. I like it. Yep. Had been on patrol off the northwest coast, but was instructed to move to the wreckage site to join the search and to take over as the search controller. In other words, basically command of the search and rescue effort. In all, 13 bodies were recovered initially, and another one was recovered later. They didn't state how much later. They just very much noted that it was later. Hmm. (laughs) So there were 14 total recovered.
2: Only 10 of them were in a state to have autopsies performed. Mm-hmm. Do we know of how many?
1: 61 okay. people on board. There were only 14 bodies recovered.
0: Oh, Yikes.
1: Yep. Many pieces of light-floating wreckage were recovered, including some cabin fixtures, seat cushions, baggage, and the inner wheel cylinder from the port main landing gear. They made a note of that specifically. The underwater wreckage area was proving difficult to find, however, even by sonar. It took until the 5th of June to find it. This accident happened on the 24th of March. Yes. That is a long time.
0: It is a long time.
1: They found the wreckage 1.72 nautical miles from Tusker Rock. It was much closer to land than they thought it was. And it was located underwater at 39 fathoms.
2: What is a fathom, you might ask?
1: <laughs> Six feet is one fathom. Three, so. Nine
2: feet. Fathoms.
1: Yes, so about 234 feet. Don't break your brain. It's about 234 feet below the ocean surface. I don't understand
0: why they would have a a unit of measure that's only six
1: feet. Because Fathoms has been around as a unit of measurement for so much longer than feet. Because ocean.
2: Any Disney fans out there might know that one of the opening songs for The Little Mermaid is Fathoms Below. Yes. I'm the only one here, I know.
1: Anyway. At that time, some of the wreckage was removed from the seafloor and brought to the surface. The next day, more of the wreckage was removed from the seafloor, and divers reported a vast wreckage field in the area at the bottom, but a major portion of the wreckage was still there. It was too difficult for them to get all of the wreckage, and to find all of it. Two people may have witnessed the accident, it was determined. One was a sailor on a coastal vessel that thought he may have seen an aircraft crash into the sea, but didn't report it at the time. The second was a witness on shore who saw a splash. Didn't see the aircraft, just saw a splash. Both reported seeing this sometime between 11.10 and 11.15 a.m. So that pretty much coincides. They pretty much determined, yes, you did see an airplane crash. The directions that they both indicated seeing the crash also crossed at about the point where the airplane wreckage was found. The main wreckage was found underwater. So ultimately... There you go. They found it. The aircraft was completely destroyed due to the heavy impact. About 60 to 65% of the aircraft, by weight, was removed from the ocean and recovered. The rest of it, still down there. This included most of three engines, part of the fourth, all four propellers, most of both wings from tip to tip, and the rudder. As That's well as, I'm sure, a lot of the fuselage, but they said it pretty much disintegrated, so was, those were very small pieces. Nice. So, Yeah. That's all I have, but quite the sudden accident. All 61 on board, unfortunately, perished in the accident.
2: Okay. This investigation was performed by the Irish Department of Transport and Power, as they did not yet have a specific team of investigators dedicated to aviation accidents. No, they did not. Although about two-thirds of the wreckage was recovered, this did not include any flight recorders, as they were not equipped on this aircraft. No surprise. Quote, the accident to Echo India Alpha Oscar. Yes. Oscar Mike presents a considerable element of mystery, not only as to why the accident occurred, but also as to what happened to the aeroplane to account in a rational way for the evidence so far available. End quote. That bodes well. So well. Does it? (laughs) Investigators specifically stated at the beginning of the analysis that some vital items of evidence were probably still on the seabed and it would not be impossible for them to wash ashore one day. All that investigators were able to garner from the evidence was that the chances of an in-flight fire were low. There was no evidence on any of the wreckage, and there was no significant presence of carboxyhemoglobin in the 14 bodies that were recovered. If you recall from, I don't know what episode, some time ago, carboxyhemoglobin develops in the blood if you inhale a lot of smoke. Yeah. True. True. Given what little they had, investigators spent a large amount of time on a study made into every reported accident of Viscounts since their introduction into service in 1952 to see if some kind of pattern would shed some light on the mysterious events of March 24th, 1968.
1: Very horribly. This was the third Viscount accident for Aer Lingus. Another one of them had also crashed the year prior at Rock. This, however, this accident that we're talking about, is the deadliest on Irish soil. To date? I believe to date. Wow. Minx was the deadliest since, and still hasn't been topped. So. Alright. Continuing. And by the way, all three of the Viscount accidents happened within a year.
2: Jesus. That means there's something wrong with the aircraft. You
1: would think. Hmm. Huh. But, um. we'll get into it.
2: Many of these were mid air collisions, sea fit, hard landings, Did <coughs> <laughs>
1: there, there you go.
2: Or other such causes that were not specific to the aircraft type and could have happened to any airplane. So, brilliant. Investigators analyzed the few incidents of Viscounts at normal cruise flight. Some of them had been caused by doors opening or engine propeller troubles, but all of these successfully landed and immediate remedial action was taken either by modification of components or modified operational or inspection instructions. Icing had occurred in several instances, which was deemed highly unlikely here, and some were due to structural failure in heavy turbulence. Another case was a bird strike with a swan at 6,000 feet, which ruptured the tail surfaces. A swan? I'm surprised. That's a big bird yes i'm it is. actually surprised you don't remember this we covered that episode in our first episode of our bird strike series it was ua flight 297 in episode well, 85 i remember I, that i couldn't
1: remember it because i wasn't part of it because that was a brendan episode dude
2: that was like two years ago i know <laughs> i don't remember that
1: quite literally it was two years ago
2: it was the whistling swan
1: yes
0: oh now i remember
1: <laughs> <laughs> remarkable to me is the fact that that happened at 6,000 feet that's pretty up there for a bird
0: Especially oh, for a swan. They don't j- fly j- very high.
1: But... Usually. But big birds do fly up very, very high.
2: As we discussed in our Bird Strike series, quasi-episode 85. Yeah, I remember, it, like, vultures can go, like, really super high. Again, the majority of these did not result in total catastrophe, as with the accident in question. That being said, some of these incidents, had they happened under different circumstances, could have resulted in catastrophe. One such instance was a failure of a Ford baggage compartment door, resulting in sudden decompression and baggage striking the inboard propeller.
0: Well, that's not great.
2: But it simply didn't match the wreckage evidence from EI-712. They analyzed seven previous accidents that were deemed inconclusive, some of which have some similarity to EI-712. But there were also notable differences. Instance 1. A Viscount flying at night in clear weather with no turbulence or icing at 16,500 feet crashed after a steep dive. There were suspicions of a malfunctioning autopilot or of a sudden electrical failure that could make it impossible to retain control but there wasn't enough evidence. The main difference from this flight was that it was at night in IMC conditions when a loss of idle pilot is much more devastating due to disorientation. Instance 2. A Viscount at normal cruise entered bad weather with a notable presence of cumulonimbus clouds and lost height and broke up in flight. It was deemed possible, maybe even highly probable, that turbulence was a factor here. Here, the main difference was fairly positive evidence of an in-flight breakup coupled with the potential for dangerous turbulence. Instance three, a Viscount approaching an airport in poor weather and failing light indicated that they were at 2,000 feet with the coastline in sight and crashed into the sea one minute later. The report on that one excluded structural failure, control failure, multiple engine failure, instrument failure, explosion, fire, bad weather, and pilot error. They did not exclude a heart attack. The main difference here was that it was on approach at 2,000 feet, and EI-712 was cruising at 17,000 feet, ample time for another pilot to recover while the other had a heart attack. Instance 4, a Viscount in cruise went out of communication and emerged from a low cloud in a steep dive from which it did not recover. News of this accident came out just before this report, stating evidence of electrical failure. The main difference here was, once again, IMC and that EI-712 had no evidence of complete electrical failure.
0: Is there a chance that we have another flagship on our hands? Nope. They so they didn't stall at altitude. 17,000s not that
1: high. It's not.
0: No, but they you would still have time to recover.
1: Right. They would have time to recover in this instance. And well,
2: did they figure out what actually happened? Let me get into it. Okay. Keep going. Instance 5. A Viscount en route for three hours and ten minutes in fine weather and daylight crashed six minutes after stating they had started descent. A report for this one was not yet available, but preliminary accounts state that one wing was found half a mile from the wreckage. The difference here was that EI-712's wreckage contained both wings. Investigators were interested in UA Flight 297 and the collision with the Whistling Swan at 6,000 feet on the left tail plane, causing failure and loss of control. There are birds similar to this in the southeast of Ireland. After consulting with ornithologists, it was found that few birds ever flew up to 17,000 feet or migrated in the daytime, especially around midday. Simply too hot. Furthermore, any migration from Wexford would be northward, not to the southeast. The possibility of a bird strike with a large bird was regarded as extremely remote in light of this knowledge. Instance 7, a Viscount en route at 8,000 feet, crashed 14 minutes after acknowledging a revised ATC clearance and no communications indicating trouble were ever received. It struck the ground right side up with wings level, which seems contradictory, I don't know, and a pitch of 8 degrees nose up. The report concluded that due to discrepancies in the anti-ice instructions, several engines flamed out, all four propellers eventually feathered, and they lost airspeed, height, and electrical power because of it. The crew managed to restart one engine, so they had asymmetric power, and they struck the ground. With no forward speed. The main differences here were altitude and icing conditions. So we have nothing to work with.
1: You know what all this really means to me? The Viscount did not have a very good safety record.
2: No, it kind of
0: <laughs> reminds me of like the DC-10. Like <laughs> there were a lot of issues and they were like, which one could it be? Let's go through the list.
1: They weren't really hinting at the fact that the airplane was just unsafe in general when they went through all of this. However, I would say maybe it was because the airplane didn't have a very long history and it seemed to have a lot of accidents. And
2: they oh, literally she... took the time to detail out all of these instances that they studied. Right.
1: That's what surprises me. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but that just seems like a lot of accidents in a very short period of time. Wide-ranging accidents, but at the time, I feel like we might have just been used to this kind of thing where it was like, I don't know, yeah. there was just a lot of accidents, but eh, it's fine.
2: I don't love that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the wreckage that was found and what might potentially be notable. They had some difficulty determining what damage was caused by the crash itself, what was due to being on the seafloor, and what was caused by recovery efforts. To be expected, honestly. Yes. Indications showed that the aircraft seemed to have been intact at impact, with the possible exception of the tailplanes and elevators. There wasn't any direct evidence that they were not in position, but the starboard tailplane and elevator were not ever found. The trim tab of the starboard elevator was recovered as well as the spring tab of the port elevator, but that was found separately from the wreckage. It was found on the beach between Rosslair Harbor and Greenore Point, seven miles from the main wreckage. It was one of the only two pieces of the tailplane and elevator assembly that was recovered. It was not capable of floating and was found six months later wrapped in seaweed, which was not prevalent to the wreckage site investigators determined it had to have fallen in the sea much closer to the coast and became entangled in the seaweed on the bottom which is normally found much closer to shore local information on the movement of flotsam and jetsam in the area supports this i am very proud that i got to incorporate the term flotsam and jetsam (laughs) that is now two little mermaid references yes i didn't even know that was like an actual thing i thought they were just
1: names no Uh, those are terms
2: all in all, the spring tab, which is required for proper fore and aft control, became detached prior to final impact. But the evidence is inconclusive. Anyone noticing a thing here? They're like, I don't know. So what's... But I don't know. I don't know. So what do witnesses have to say? There were a total of 29 potential witnesses, but only two actually saw impact. Witness 17 was standing on the shore near Green Ore Point and reported a large splash in the sea near Tusker Rock at about 11.15, but not earlier than 11.12. They were watching the game inside, so they actually had a pretty good reference. Yep. Witness 19 was a seaman on a passing ship and saw a glimpse of an aeroplane falling into the sea with a big splash near Tusker Rock, giving an impact time between 11.10 and 11.15. That witness described the sound as being like stones tipped out of a lorry. A lorry is a truck. Yes. For those of you who are not of the uh, across the pond persuasion. (laughs) I know that because of Top Gear. Yeah. <laughs> this timing is odd because the radio call of 12,000 feet descending, spinning rapidly, was at 10:58 and 10 seconds. The math of difference in time between the 17,000 feet cruise and the 12,000 feet call leads to an average descent rate of 120 feet per second, which would have caused a sea impact in 98 and a half seconds. But they crashed 12 minutes later.
1: Uh-huh, uh-huh,
2: uh-huh. The math ain't mathin'. At or just before 11 o'clock, 10 witnesses between Greenar Point, Carnsore Point, and the village of Broadway, three miles inland, heard a loud noise like a very sharp roll of thunder. One of them was very specific and described a loud, short clap of thunder followed by a short, sharp clap. Witness 15, four miles north, heard a very loud whoosh at about 11 o'clock.
1: I love all of these descriptions.
2: This is all mostly verbatim, by the way. Yeah. Witnesses 16 and 16A On the coast near Greenar Point heard a loud boom like a jet coming out of a cloud and a rumbling sound like thunder. Investigators wondered if they had been hearing the impact that sounded like thunder, but these sounds were 10 minutes prior to impact. Weird. Between 1045 and 1115, witnesses 1, 2, 3, 3A, 4, and 4A were in the Feathered-on-Sea area, 28 miles west of impact, and saw an airplane flying a northwest to southeast direction. Witness one reported three small black clouds and a sudden sharp turn as if fired out of the clouds. Witness two describes seeing an airplane with the nose and portion of the wing enveloped in a small dark cloud traveling with the airplane swirling. It looked about the size of a large hay shed. You cannot yell at us for using weird measurements.
1: (laughs) Somebody commented on our Patreon about weird measures. of
0: Like someone said whales.
1: Units of measurement.
0: Yes, whales. Whales.
1: Yes.
2: I think it was Bob. Thanks, I think Bob. It was Bob Speaking out. of the Irish. Yes. The airplane went in the direction of the Saltees, and the witness heard a bang, which died away like thunder. There's a lot of mentions of thunder.
0: Yeah. Thunder boom. Maybe, it's just, maybe it was just raining. Did they
2: ever think about that? No weather in the area. <laughs> I know, but it no. rains a lot in Ireland. Yes. <laughs> Witness 2A no. reported the same sound, but didn't see anything. Witness 3, 3A, 4, and 4A saw an airplane going in a southeasterly direction with a very red color on part of the wings and tail as if on fire, but no smoke was seen. The color of airplane reported was not green and white. Guess what color Aer Lingus is? Green and green white. Green and white. They described the sightings as being after mass, but before dinner.
0: Yes. Solid. Fair enough.
2: <laughs> Investigators questioned whether or not these sightings were even that of the accident aircraft, as it would have required the plane to be flying in a disabled condition at over 200 miles an hour. And it it, it wasn't the right color. So who knows? Investigators deemed that, as is normal with witness statements, a lot of things were uh, inconsistent. Yeah. The ones by witnesses 17 and 19 were deemed reasonably accurate and reliable as it matched the evidence. Investigators wondered if maybe there was a mid-air collision, but no aircraft, civil or military, manned or unmanned was ever reported as missing. The military missile and target ranges on the Welsh coast were closed and inoperative on Sundays. Glad to know that. So that wasn't a suspicion either. And that's... all I got. So they don't know.
1: They don't know.
2: That was the most long-winded way of me saying, eh...
0: They have a lot of theories, but they have no evidence to confirm said theories.
1: And we didn't even dive into all the theories. We'll talk about why in a minute. Well, in the second half. But there's a lot more to talk about when it comes to theories. So many. We'll save that for later.
2: And we'll come back.
1: Yes. Later. Yes.
2: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new bumble now.
1: Now we're back. So
0: tell me, what the f could they possibly request when they have no idea what the
2: f happened?
1: Right, so no recommendations. <laughs> However, there are some findings. They found that these things were fine. They, uh, well, actually, well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Let, let's just get into the findings because it actually gets pretty interesting. They found that the flight proceeded normally after takeoff until 33 seconds after acknowledging an ATC instruction from Shannon to change radio frequency to that of London Airways. They found that a signal was intercepted by London radar at 10:58:02, reading Echo India Alpha Roscoe Mike with you. Eight seconds later, another signal was intercepted reading... 12,000 feet descending, spinning rapidly, no further communications were received from the aircraft. I think it's interesting that in the story, they had put in 5,800 feet, but in the findings, they put Mm -hmm. 12,800 feet.
0: Why you got to be so sus, huh?
1: I know. They found that the aircraft went into the sea at between 11.10 and 11.15 a.m. on a steep flight path with low forward speed, less than 130 knots, and with a very considerable vertical component of speed. The attitude on impact was of the order of 15 degrees nose down, right way up, and probably slightly banked right wing down.
2: Very probably.
1: Yes, very probably. And they don't... None of this really sounds significant to me. They weren't moving very fast, and 15 degrees nose down... Yeah, sure, it's steepish, but it's not very steep. They found that for a reason that cannot be determined from the evidence available. The aircraft went into a spin or a spiral dive or similar maneuver at 17,000 feet from which a recovery appeared to have been affected at some height lower than 12,000 feet. The recovery maneuver could not be achieved without inflicting some structural deformation on the airframe, most probably on the tailplanes and elevators, causing impairment of controllability in the fore and aft pitching plane. They found that a portion of the elevator spring tab from the port elevator, probably became detached while the aircraft was airborne. They still couldn't figure out why.
2: But it was found tangled in seaweed.
1: Yes, not with the airplane. Now, the great length at which they went to describe this finding, for what I feel is no particular reason. However, the very last sentence is important. They found that a defect found in the automatic pilot was most fully investigated by ground and air tests. It is considered that this defect could not have been the cause of the Saxon. Substitution of an elevator spring for a rudder spring found in the rudder torque tube would have but a minor effect on the flight characteristics or feel of the airplane. These defects taken together would have an effect on the flight characteristics of the aircraft to a minor but insignificant extent, which in the case of the autopilot can be discounted by the safety measures included in the design of the equipment, and in each case by the fact that unwanted forces can readily be overridden by manual control action by the pilot. No other pre-impact defects were found. In the engines, propellers, instruments, or equipment. They could not find anything else wrong with the airplane prior to the accident. They could not determine that there was anything actually wrong with the airplane significant enough to cause this.
0: Well, something happened because they were spinning out of control.
1: Yep. They found that the flight crew were wearing their full safety harness, including the shoulder straps.
0: Which they usually only do in case of emergency. Yeah. and if you're spinning out of control, I would hope that you're wearing your full harness.
1: Well, mind you, and we're getting to it. Actually, it's the next point. They found that the aircraft flew in a disabled condition over the sea for a period of at least 10 minutes, during which no radio signals were received from it, after which fore and aft control was finally lost, and the aircraft descended with a high vertical component of speed in a stalled condition with engines throttled back until it struck the sea. So... It seems that maybe they were trying to save the airplane for around 10 minutes before something went horribly wrong and the airplane just fell out of the sky. It had fallen some distance. They were then like floating around an area and something went wrong after 10 minutes that forced them to... Basically, into the sea.
0: Could they have like Air France four four seven did and just over controlled the airplane to the point where they couldn't
1: do it anything? Was daylight, so most likely no. Weather was decent. It sounds like there was something truly wrong with the airplane. The fact that they weren't making any communication calls is also curious,
2: s- suspicious.
1: The fact that they went to idle and then stalled into the sea—we really don't know. Like, there's just so many things missing here. Something was wrong with the airplane. Something was very wrong with the airplane. They found that the aircraft was substantially intact when it entered the sea, except for the probable loss of all or part of the elevator spring tab. It was demolished on impact and sank immediately. The impact was unsurvivable. No really couldn't have been evidenced by the fact that nobody survived. They found that there is evidence which could be construed as indicative of the this is the most interesting finding of them all by the way this is this this is what opens the Pandora box for what comes next? They found that there is evidence which could be construed as indicative of the possible presence of another aircraft or airborne object in the vicinity, which, by reason of collision or by its proximity causing an evasive maneuver to be made, or by its wake turbulence, might have been the initiating cause of an upsetting maneuver, resulting in the Viscount entering a spin or spiral dive.
2: That
0: was, was there any evidence of that?
1: There And then, the following sense, there is no substantiating evidence of such a possibility, but it cannot be excluded for it is compatible with all of the presently available evidence.
0: Did they not have like radar? (laughs) They did. Was it like preliminary
1: radar? When I say this opens a Pandora's box, I mean, there's no recommendations left for this, but we're not ending the story here. No. As a matter of fact,
2: there will be a part two.
1: There's a whole nother episode. For this one, because there's a whole nother report.
2: In 2001, they're like, hey, we We should should look at this again.
1: (laughs) Because there had been so many TV shows and books and witness stories and accounts of this aircraft being shot down.
2: What? Would that even make sense, though? It is also why you may have noted I specifically mentioned that the missile range on the Welsh Coast was shut down. I mentioned that for a reason. I would also like to observe that the beginning of the finding you just read was the most professional way of saying, like, eh, maybe, perhaps, sort of, kind of, I guess.
1: Possibly, perhaps. But no.
2: (laughs) There is evidence which could be construed as indicative of the possible
1: presence. Yes, they were very, very (laughs) hesitant on this one. And understandably why, because... There was already a lot of speculation about this one, and it got significantly worse over the decades, which is why there was another report, which we'll talk about in the next episode, and normally we wouldn't do these speculative ones. However, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there, and there's actually some very whack theories that came out of this. It doesn't hold to reason as much mm. conspiracy, we'll say, as a certain other accident we refuse to cover.
2: TW-800. Um... TW So, needless to say, people were not very happy with the probable cause, which I'm going to read here. Yes. There is not enough evidence available on which to reach a conclusion of reasonable probability as to the initial cause of this accident. The probable cause of the final impact with the sea was impairment of the controllability of the aircraft in the fore and aft, or pitching, plane.
1: And that is it.
2: Signed June 30th, 1970 by the Inspector of Accidents.
1: So, mind you, this was over two years after the accident. This
2: is known as the 1970 report.
1: Right. This is the 1970 report, which is quite literally what I labeled my notes. I said, Aaron Lingus, 712, 1970 report. Because the next one was released in 2002. So, a long time later. (laughs) However, also very important. There are so many whack theories that came out of this. There were so many crazy things. And this was the deadliest accident on Irish I wouldn't say soil, I guess, eh. area, <laughs> land. It was, in, it was in Irish waters. It was in Irish waters, but within an Irish territory. And so, of course, a lot of people were also very upset because 61 people perished and there was no actual answer for it. Well, that's fun.
2: You want to know how to make ghosts?
0: Ooh. That's how you make ghosts. You make ghosts. Ooh, it's ghosts. a ghost. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I guess wait till next time to find out all the other extra stuff. That
1: report was much longer. Oh, yeah, By the way, 193 pages versus this one's like 40 or something like
0: that. Well, to be fair, this one was in 1960s, 1970s, excuse me. The other one came out in 2002. As we know from looking at (laughs) previous reports to the common day reports, they got more verbose the later the history And
1: loquacious. Yes, they did. However, that said, neither one of these reports was issued by an actual investigative Mm -hmm. board for accidents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other one wasn't either. It was done. It
2: was a court of inquiry.
1: It was basically, yes,
2: of A.A.I.U. investigators. We'll get we'll get to it. Yeah. Stop jumping the gun.
1: So just know there's a lot more to cover next time because it couldn't all be done in this episode. But this was a major accident. This was actually a very major accident. And this one, the, the craziest thing about this, though. Well, I shouldn't say that because there's a lot of crazy things, but this flight number is still used. By Aaron Lingus, which was actually of note.
0: I mean, we talked about this last time with UA-608, because UA-608 Mm -hmm. is still in use. Mm -hmm. Especially with old reports like this. Yeah. Sometimes they just do that because they can. But even though it was was, still, it was very... Before the time of, like, when people died, you just don't use that flight number again.
1: Well, but it was still common practice at the time. They noted it. They noted that this was very uncommon, that they decided to continue to use the flight number. It was later on in history, but they continued it. And it is actually still a flight today. So
2: is UA608.
1: Yes. So that is Sometimes it's
2: still the same route. I think this one yes. is still the same route.
1: I believe so. No. It is a flight from Dublin to Amsterdam.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, well. to Amsterdam. Amsterdam. It's okay. I probably oh, wait a minute. A no, that's
1: the wrong one. Hold on. Sorry, I typed it wrong.
0: Well, why'd you do that, Nick? I don't know. I America. thought it'd be
1: fun. Jesus. No, it is still a flight from Cork to London Heathrow. Alright. It was the same one. Still the same route. You
2: hear him doubt me? I heard it. Did you hear
1: it? No, they change things all the time. I don't know. He it doubted could happen. me. I know. Anyways.
2: Okay.
0: Well, thank you so much for listening. Remember to tune in next week for the second part of this episode. Yeah, first. Um, Do we get answers? No. Yeah! But it's interesting. It is interesting. Shout out to Bob. I don't know if we said this at the beginning of the episode. He's the one who, him and Connor are the one who requested this episode. Who's thank- surprised? Thank you for requesting this episode. The Irish. The Irish. Yep. Okay, remember we're going to talk about our little trippy trip to Vancouver over the weekend this past yes. weekend if you would like to tune in and hear all of the fun adventures of the non-fun adventures. This was of that trip. A whirlwind
1: trip, but yeah. it was yeah. I, I thought it was a good weekend though.
0: We'll we'll, we'll probably start about last week Monday. <laughs> uh, because that's when like everything hit the fan. So, yes. uh We'll go ahead and tell that story. You need to be a five dollar patron to hear it. So you can go ahead and you can go on the website and check out the Patreon page and everything that's included with that. Or you can go ahead and go on Patreon itself to check. It'll tell you. There should be actually like highlights, like five minute highlights mm-hmm. of episodes and post episodes on the page. For Patreon, if you want to hear a little bit of a snippet, and then decide if you want to do that later. Also, you should uh, look at the merch page and get some merch, because we have some pretty cool merch. Oh, we yes. need to order merch for Caitlyn. I want to rep, because after, right after we take our flight to Oregon, I fly out to Jersey to meet my
2: boyfriend's parents, so.
0: Oh, boy. It's always funny when we go through the airport, we all have
1: matching stuff. <laughs>
2: yes. Are you sure the you people- want to wear a sweatshirt in August? Flights are cold.
1: Flights are cold. I'll give you that because my flight. Well, I can also talk about that. I will. We can. Uh,
0: are the misadventures of Miranda, Christie and Nick. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my
1: God. My misadventures got so much worse.
0: Yes. And to be fair, I was roughing it out in Texas, too. Yeah. I was I was having fun. But sure. Homegirl was hungover the whole time. Fair enough. <laughs> and whose fault is that? I blame it on Barbie because she was the reason why I was up. Did you see it? No, but there was a Barbie night at the club so we all like went and got Barbie outfits. We were going to see it but it was sold out in San Antonio oh, and McAllen, both the entire. I, I don't want to see it so bad. Probably yeah. still sold out. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, thanks so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Remember, you can give us a little bit of a, a boost if you'd like to. If you can't support us like on Patreon, we get it. But you can also write a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can vote or put stars on Spotify. A lot of people listen to us on Spotify. So you the, can also just
1: share it. Just, just share, tell it. Yeah. share the stuff.
0: You can repost tell people my posts, please. Tell people we exist. Yeah, tell people we exist, because yeah. we do exist. We do exist. And we're kind of awesome sometimes. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you have a safe and healthy week. We'll catch you all next week.
2: Keep your speed up.
0: Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast and on Twitter at Landings Pod.
2: Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen.
1: If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com, where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions.
0: This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy and edited by
2: the lovely page. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us, plus Leo.
1: And our logo is by Naomi.
2: Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.